Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Welcome to another week of the Recruitment Flex. I'm Serge Boudreaux, as always, joined by Shelly Billinghurst. And Shelly, please introduce to us our guest today. Thank you, Serge. Yeah, we are super pleased and very honored to have Rob Borsma, who's VP of Operations for North America at, drumroll, talent.com, who comes to us from the beautiful city of Montreal. Welcome to the show, Rob. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Shelly, I'm a little bit disappointed. You should have said it in a French way. No, I can't. Montreal, you know what? Yeah. I'm Montreal. not going to try and do your French accent. How should I have said it, Serge? Montreal. Oh, no. Sorry. That just <laughs> <laughs> So, Rob, thank you so much. Boy, we are so excited. There's been a lot of buzz around talent.com. For the benefit of our audience, I'm going to start with who you are personally and share with us how you got into the recruitment space. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Right now I'm in the VP operations role, but I did start in the recruitment space as well. So um, I, I'm originally from Calgary. So from out West of, of Canada and was working Yay. in, uh, yeah, go Calgary. I was working in the oil and gas industry as, as many people uh, do in, in well, or did, I should say, <laughs> depending on uh, what timeline it is, but uh, doing high volume recruitment. So working for, to recruit tradespeople in the North of Alberta. And that was um, you know, very high volume, potentially high turnover. And so got my hands on the reins of their acquisition team from that perspective for a construction company that was filling roles there. And through that, I uh, got to know our old business name, which was Nuvo, uh, or some would say Nuvu or Nuevo, uh, probably. <laughs> it was hard to say. It, it was hard to say. Part of the reason Good that we move on the change, man. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, was a, it was actually a Finnish word. It means advise. And it was a domain that that could be purchased in all countries. So long story short, got my start getting to know them and and in particular, one of the founders, Lucas, and they were one of our vendors and helped us to drive a lot of traffic for the roles that we were filling. And so that was a great introduction to the world of online job advertising. Again, it was kind of a niche world that you don't really know is there until you know it's there. And then you open up Pandora's box and realize what uh, what an opportunity it is. So uh, yeah, I made the transition over to Nuvo. I worked in sales, started our customer success department and, and in the operational role now out in Montreal. So yeah, very excited to be here. I love the fact that you come from the recruitment side of the house. You know, Rob, there is so much value. And we say this all the time about new technology or new um, startups within the talent acquisition space. There's a lot. And it's usually someone who was a job seeker who went, oh, this is so broken. I'm going to fix it. But they've never (laughs) sat in the chair of trying to hire uh, 4,000 tradespeople (laughs) to go work in Fort McMurray. Oh, and by the way, you have to live in camp and (laughs) um, you're going to be working 12-hour days and 14 days in a row. So um, where do you want to sign, right? And until you understand what that takes to even execute on that, Rob, right? Like, I love that you come from industry. I love it. Yeah. And look, it, it it definitely helped as I transitioned into sales. I'll be honest, I transitioned out of sales because I think <laughs> I'm more of a farmer than a hunter in the end, but it, it really helped me have a good perspective when I was talking to my clients at the time. And I think that's where 
we were able to do well is, first of all, nobody could say the name of our company. So (laughs) when we approached companies to say, hey, do you want to work with us? The only reason they worked with us is because we, we could have a consultative approach with them and to understand their challenges and try and help. And that's the only reason that I think we're, we're in the position that we are today. Well, I learned something new today because I thought nouveau was a play on to the French word of nouveau, like new. I thought it was just a play on. So, but you did buy the talent.com domain. I think at the same time you got your series A funding, correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So Smart. around the same time. Yeah. So we, we bought that domain for, for $2 million and kind of thought, okay, this is a, a clear indication of what we do. And it's easier to say, Hey, bonus. But on top of that, it's, it really, it was a mentality shift for us as well. And so Nuvo really was a startup. It was a very transactional wholesale type of website. Mm-hmm. Uh, we focused on getting traffic through our different types of tools, tax tools, salary calculator, and, and really we're less focused on things like brand and, and less focused on the front end of our product, candidly, than we were on just generating traffic. And the switch to talent was a mentality shift towards a more user-based approach, user-centric, and, and you know wasn't just switching blue to purple in a sense. We literally rebuilt the entire website and are restructuring how we look at generating users and, and connecting people to work. And that's that's what our mission is, to connect people to work. How, how do you work with companies right now? So say in the market, say Calgary, let's use that example. Uh, you have a company. How does that company work with talent.com? Do they have a rep or they buy online? What is the business model at the current time? Right now, we've been very focused on on enterprise and, and agency. We are expanding into the SMB space, so launching new self-serve products through what we're calling Talent Post. But primarily, at our core, first of all, we're an aggregator. So as opposed to a job board, we generate our content by indexing other companies' career websites, similar to Indeed, similar to the way that Google indexes websites and organizes that content. That's That's what we do. And the way that we work with clients and the way that our business earns money is through pay-per-click advertising. And so companies will sponsor their jobs on a pay-per-click basis to have better visibility through our channels where people are looking for jobs. So talent.com just announced $120 million in Series B funding. What are you going to do with the money? <laughs> Everybody's trying to know, like, are you allowed to tell us? De- yeah, definitely. Okay. I'll tell you what we're going to try to do <laughs> at a minute. Exactly. It's really a growth round for us is we feel that we were in a, a very strong position. We're good at generating traffic. We're good at what we do, but we need to focus on a few things. And, and one is, is product. And so, as I mentioned, the SMB component, so launching a, a new arm in a sense of being able to self-serve job posts to be able to sponsor on a per job basis and, and being able to deliver results there. So that's going to be a, a key component. We're calling that talent post. Um, also building new products. And again, that's our shift over to talent is we we really want to be the centralized place online where people go for anything to do with employment is we're looking for all sorts of other ways to interact and have a first introduction with potential job seekers outside of just that classic search jobs in Calgary. Uh, So we're looking at different tools varying from resume builders to a resume database to different widgets to calculate average pay, take-home pay, looking at user-created content. So definitely expanding our product is, is a key part of that. And obviously with that, trying to expand our user base and create more stickiness for folks who, who interact with our website. 
And then internally as well, just filling out an executive team. So hiring a lot right now in our C-suite and, and bulking up so that we have the scaffolding, as I like to call it, to be the company that we that we want to be and to, to really put the uh, foundation there for the growth that we're hoping for the next few years. Mm-hmm. You touched on the employer side, like the, the companies that sponsor by clicks, but then you talk about a lot of solutions and tools that job seekers would want. So talk a bit about talent.com's perspective on the labor market tightness. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the tightness component is, is certainly something that we we want to address because we're we are an aggregator. The lucky part about that is our website is essentially a reflection of the current labor market and the current job market is we have a good indication of what jobs are open right now, how many, what industries they're mm-hmm. in. And we have an indication of job seeker demand. We look at how much traffic each you know, types of jobs get what the search volume is and how many clicks happen on that. So we can measure both the demand on the job seeker side mm-hmm. and the interest level that they have, as well as the the demand on the employer side. So how many job postings are, are opening right now? And what we see is a big discrepancy in many, many markets, but in Canada, the US specifically, there's a big gap and there is just more open jobs than there are job seekers. And that that is part of our mission is we need to help companies be able to connect with those people that are looking for work. And so certainly that's a large component of what we work on and the data that we look at is uh, where are those gaps and how can we help address those? You know, that's a safe statement to say that there are more jobs than, or there's been an increase in jobs and a decrease in job seekers. However, does your data break it down into maybe sectors? Because I have the sense that some sectors are being hit harder than others. Can you boil it down that far? Or Rob, is this more about labor market, big L, (laughs) capital L, right? (laughs) Good question. There's definitely overall a general sense of tightness, but definitely some sectors are getting hit much harder and also are recovering much slower um, than in other, you know, we'll call it traumatic events for the labor industry. If you look at 2008 and the recovery that happened after that, it was much more of a slow burn and, and focused yeah. on white collar types of jobs years, and professional yeah. jobs yeah, over sure. years. Yeah. And what's interesting about the tightness that's been created right now is, yes, partially it was created within certain industries because of the change in consumer habits, because of the pandemic ultimately is People change the way they buy, they change the way that they work, they change the way that they live, and even workers change their expectations. So in terms of industries, we put out a report that that focused on a a few of the key industries or segments that have been impacted. And I can talk about a few of those and I'll just maybe outline them quickly and then you can tell me if you want to go deeper. (laughs) So interestingly, I mean, I think this has been a story for many businesses that recruit in the uh, you know, frontline worker type of roles is blue collar frontline worker, ultimately low barrier to entry or, or low skill set types of roles. The demand has gone up astronomically, uh, you know, since the, the beginning of the pandemic. And at the same time, people's work habits have changed. So that's certainly a sector where we've seen a dramatic increase in terms of the demand for those workers and an actual drop in terms of the number of workers that are partaking at least full-time in that type of workforce. If we look at the the pandemic overall, this has been a very quick recovery in comparison to other massive economic events. We had a huge drop at the beginning of 2020, number of unemployed workers increased by 250% or more. But that started to kind of slowly recover almost right away because we were very lucky that things like vaccines were coming into play and cases were under control. 
But what was happening was at the same time, the demand for specific types of work was just increasing and increasing. And another one of those places it was increasing was healthcare for obvious reasons. In the healthcare field, due to the pandemic, there was a big increase in demand. And the other component is it's, it was a very difficult and trying time to be working in that field. And so the number of workers was decreasing at the same time. So you have a variety of components that are working against you to create this tightness. So that's both for kind of typical frontline blue collar type of work uh, and healthcare. Now, when we look at something like a professional career that went work from home, management positions, finance, legal, media occupations, the tightness in that market stayed pretty consistent and still is fairly consistent. So the reality is before the pandemic, we were already in a tight labor market. There was already more jobs. But we didn't create a massive number of new jobs in professional settings. We really created a lot of new demand in frontline type of work and secondarily STEM types of occupations as well that go alongside with a lot of the innovation that happens with those types of careers. So those are some of the areas that we do see an increased tightness. If we look at the pandemic and how it shifted the whole world of work, there's two areas that I, I have been really focused on. And one of them is remote work. And the other one being gig work, right? Mm -hmm. What have you guys seen as far as remote work across, I guess now it's international. So can we dig in on that side and love to get your take on the gig economy and how that's been affected with what's going on with the pandemic and recovery from it? Yeah, for sure. Um, so we'll start with the remote piece and, and I'll go back to my comment about professional jobs having you know less overall tightness in comparison to other types of careers right now. The piece that has changed with, with professional positions is that people have unlocked the ability to work from home. Wow, I can do most of my job from home. And what's very interesting is that does unlock the paradigm of, hey, we know that we're in a tight labor market. And I know that there are more open jobs than there are candidates for these. But what if I could look in other countries? Because I now know that I can do my job, at least partially, remotely. That's something that we've done for quite a long time. Since the inception of the company at Talent.com, we've had hubs. And so we've always worked with a very international team. We have a, a big tech hub based in Medellin and Colombia. We have offices in Lausanne and Switzerland and the US and Chicago, South America, all over Europe. So we've become very accustomed to working in kind of a decentralized way. Yeah. And I think that a lot of companies crossed that bridge during the pandemic as they went, okay, if I can't find the tech talent that I need, especially with you know such an increase in SaaS type of businesses, there's massive investment right now in HR technology. Our space is hot on the heels of the online advertising space, a lot of innovation happening. We need developers, we need STEM type of talent and other countries outside of just Canada and the US can produce amazing talent pools. So that, that's the remote pieces. There are great companies like Deal and Remote that can also help make the, the payment process a little bit more simple because that was a fear yeah. for a long time is yes. how do I deal with taxes and these sorts of things. Yep. So there's even yeah. more companies dealing with that. That's one piece that's kind of unlocked the ability to work more internationally. And then the conversation of whether local offices decide to go remote is a whole different piece of the pie. <laughs> yes. What's your take on gig? Yeah. So a lot of the big gig suppliers are our largest clients. I and mean, we work with Uber, DoorDash, pretty much anybody that is a gig employer is definitely one of our clients, or at least sponsors jobs in some capacity or another through our website. So we get a lot of exposure to these types of companies. And what's been beneficial for them is the workforce has 
adjusted their expectations of how employment should work. So a lot of the workers who are typically in, we'll call it a traditional nine to five kind of frontline job as a working in retail or in a warehouse or things like that, have looked over the fence and saw, I can choose my own hours. I can have flexibility. If I need a day off, I can have that whenever I want. And so these companies have unlocked a new style of work that a lot of the more traditional businesses are needing to adapt to because we're now blending those worlds where more flexibility, more adaptability is expected from employers, even when you're comparing, hey, should I drive for Uber? Should I uh, deliver on the side? Can I yeah. you know, spruce up my income? Or is this my full-time gig? What does that look like? So we all agree. There's a tight labor market. There's a supply and demand imbalance. But what's really interesting in this space when it comes to job advertisement, we're starting to see the prices increase, meaning your cost per click is higher than used to be before the pandemic. It makes sense, like demand supply. And we've seen that across all online advertising. But what would be your advice for recruitment, HR teams, if they're looking at this market and what they need to spend to be able to get in front of the talent that they need. Yeah, that's been obviously something that we're monitoring as well and had to work a lot with our clients on. One of the reports that, that I always like to take a look at is put out by the company called AppCast. And they put out a benchmark report and it is US-based data, but I think especially up here in Canada, we can take a look over at our neighbors and see similarities. True. And, and they put out info that CPA, so cost per application costs, rose almost 50% in 2021. Yeah. And CPC costs on average increased by over 50% in 2021. So we saw a lot more demand for workers, which created higher competition. And when we talk about the fact that we are an aggregator and we make money on a pay-per-click basis, what it is, is it's an auction. It's an open auction system mm -hmm. that allows companies to, to bid on a per-click basis to be the top results. And so when that becomes more competitive, there's limited real estate. So from a recruiter standpoint... One is managing expectations. Those are not fun conversations to have with your management. I've had them before and going back and saying, hey, my, my recruitment budget's going to get me halfway through the year is a really hard conversation to have. Yeah. Uh, but it is worth setting expectations either on velocity of how quickly you're going to be filling positions and say, look, if I want faster velocity, then I'm going to be, need to be more competitive. I might need to increase my bids or have a, an ability to withstand a higher CPA cost for those leads. And that's one piece. That's a small piece, but everybody deals with that every year. Second, when it comes to the strategic ability to attract talent is thinking about if people who are you know, looking for jobs are, are more minimal, where do I find people to fill my jobs? Well, you have to look at people who already have jobs. And that's where the poaching <laughs> starts to begin. And, and it is actually important. And I think Taking a look at how people who are employed right now look for work or consider other opportunities is extremely important. And this is where leveraging websites that use things like email alerts become very important is passive talent now becomes one of the main tools that you need to target because it's you might not have that active job seeker who is typing in jobs in Calgary, but hey, you know what? Everybody's open to an opportunity here and there if it comes knocking at their door. And that's where some of the sourcing activity using alerts, uh, and just being aware that the people that you're targeting are, are probably already employed. And then the final piece there on a, on a recruiter standpoint is also taking a deep look at your own process. I was listening to one of these podcasts uh, the other day, and somebody was mentioning basically treating your recruitment leads like sales leads. And it's so true. We in the recruitment space, myself completely included in that, 
tend to have the attitude of, hey, you know what, I'll get to it, or I'm going to do all my screening on Friday. Mm -mm, Not anymore. (laughs) We need to get on that as a hot lead right now. If you get an application that's good quality, you pick up the phone and you call them right away. We're all very used to the automated process of, hey, we'll uh, put it over to this team who will schedule an interview in two weeks, and then we'll do a screening. And that's done (laughs) right now during this market. Mm -hmm. that's done is you need to be on that process. So I think there's a variety of things that we can do to be more efficient with recruiting and just being aware of the general tightness will help change some of our actions and the way we approach it. Yeah, I agree with you. And I believe the difference between a good recruitment process and a great one is seeing your applicants as leads. Because we've talked about that before as well. How long do you think you keep your job if you are in sales, marketing hands you a lead, (laughs) And you decide to call them in two weeks or when the posting closes. Exactly. (laughs) Oh my God. Is it 1980 again? Yeah. So the only thing I'd ask us to think about too, is the notion around the currently employed, because this is a full employment market, full stop period. And it is really looking at this differently because I don't think there's such thing as passive. Indeed just released their economics report of the US. And yeah, mm-hmm. it's US data and yes, we're in Canada. The numbers are undeniable and those numbers are telling us that the great resignation is still going on. Yes, it peaked in January, as it does every January, I may add. That <laughs> yep. is the most active month to change jobs. So take that out of the equation. People are still, and when we talk about work from home, if you're told tomorrow, you've got two weeks notice that you're back in the office and your office is an hour and 45 minutes away, (laughs) do you think they're going to start looking for work? Oh, hell yes. Keeping your message out there, I think is really important. Um, Yes, they're currently employed, but things are changing really quick especially with employers saying, get your ass back to the office. Absolutely. And that's something that, to be honest, I would love if you guys did a full episode just on that, because that that's something that a lot of businesses are, are having a lot of trouble navigating, ourselves included with that. Anecdotally funny story, we changed offices into a brand new, gorgeous, renovated office on the day the pandemic closed everything, March 13th, 2020. That was the day oh we got... God. It was super interesting because everybody was extremely excited for the new office. And, and obviously, the attitudes towards that have changed. And so we've started to change our approach, at least internally, a talent about remote working and, and how do we look at that. But the truth is, we still see a lot of value as a company in that in-person interaction that we have. And I'm starting to walk on hot coals with a lot of our staff, probably, even just by saying that. But when we look at some of the large companies is, you know, what do we do? And you can even see big organizations like Google and Facebook and Apple. They're also having trouble, you know, wrapping their heads around how to make that change efficiently is how do you keep productivity and how do you balance that with the new expectations that workers have of pretty much full flexibility that that they're looking for. It's it's a challenge. Yeah, But I think the labor market's holding you for ransom. (laughs) They're going to decide because as we just talked about, Rob, if we really believe our own data says that this is a tight labor market. Look, it's definitely tough. And I'm very interested to see how we navigate away from this. And also if the demand kind of swings back in the other direction is, you know, we've got certain aspects of people, both from our companies who, who work with us and ourselves, you say, well, I see it as a value. It's actually a value add that I have this quiet space. And I think ultimately it's about flexibility. It's about giving people that work-life balance that they've yeah. so appreciated during the pandemic, myself included. And I'm sure we'll come to a great solution that many businesses adopt to, but 
yeah, it's tough right now for sure. It's uh, it's challenging. We talk a lot about it on the podcast as far as what that return to work is going to look like. We were talking about Goldman Sachs wanted their ten thousand employees to come back into the office. Only for, in New York, yeah, in New York, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And only five thousand showed up. I know some will trickle in, but I was asking Shelly, I'm like, how many of those people actually just moved out of the state or the city and are living somewhere completely different? And now they're like, oh, I think it's time I tell my employer that I don't live here anymore. But and it brings up an interesting point, and maybe comes back to the conversation that we were having before. Is I do think it's also creating the idea of hubs, which is something that is happening in Canada as well. And and I had a conversation just today about Kelowna, ironically enough, with an American who called it Cal-Ona. But anyway, that's separate. (laughs) But it's creating these opportunities for people to work their jobs, to keep progressing in their careers, but to not necessarily live in only big city centers. And I think that we, we could see, and this is what we see with our own business right now, is the opportunity to create hubs, for example, tech hubs or development hubs or sales hubs, where it doesn't necessarily need to be in the core of these massive cities anymore, is more affordable, easier lifestyle type of places. I can now attract talent to them because they have the ability to work remotely or at least partially remotely. And hey, maybe they have a co-working space that they can use here and there for meetings. But I, I do think that that's something that will become more popular is companies will become more dispersed through this as well. I agree. I do too. Looking at 2021, it was a, a banner year when it came to HR tech investment. I think the end number was 18 billion that was spent, and the record before was 5 billion. I, I was going to ask you, are we going to see that trend in 2022? But then I looked at your Series B announcement. And I'm like, probably, right? It's <laughs> definitely trending that way. But do you expect the trend to continue? And if so, what, what do you think are the sectors in HR or talent acquisitions that are going to get the most? traction when it comes to investments? Yeah, good question. And I do definitely think that we're going to see sustained or increased investment overall in the space. The TAM or the total addressable market is something that we looked at a lot during our fundraising process. And the reality is we are a tiny drop in the bucket of all of the money spent in terms of the HR tech space overall. And I think there's a variety of reasons why there's momentum behind the industry. For one, partially the tightness in the labor market. But two, is the shift in terms of types of products that are are really driving value right now. I anecdotally heard on the radio, and please don't quote me on this, it's probably completely wrong, but (laughs) that the UK, half of their exports to Canada are, are services, essentially digital services. And we are creating massive businesses of people. They're not tangible products. They're really people businesses that are providing a service overall in the HR tech space. If I can be completely honest, I think is a number of years behind a lot of other technical spaces. And so we're playing catch up right now. And this comes from everything from ourselves as job search websites to the way that ads are bought and sold. We're really seeing a lot of new programmatic advertisers coming into the space to um, try and replicate or at least bring some of the technology over from the way that other types of digital ads are bought and sold through exchanges to things as basic as ATSs. Probably most of the people who listen to this podcast have used an ATS and have also tried to throw their laptop out their window (laughs) using an ATS. They're old systems that are archaic and need updating. And I think that's part of what folds into our old school recruitment mentality is also the software that surrounds it is I've done a lot of ATS transitions from, you know, Conexa to some of the other systems out there to Taleo, and they're just 
challenging. They're big, they're complex, they're built around compliance. They're not built around candidate experience or or really the high volume type of recruiting that we see today. And that's probably a long-winded way of saying, yes, there is so many different pieces of this puzzle that are absolutely necessary in order to continue propelling a lot of the SaaS and HR tech style businesses that are growing right now, because they just need people. And so the industry as a whole is going to go through another set of evangelization to follow suit with a lot of the other advertising and types of businesses that are just a little bit ahead for whatever reason, probably because they don't fall under the HR function. <laughs> and, and that's just one of the challenges that, that us in HR and recruitment had to deal with forever and ever. Really interesting perspective. I, I love what you just said as far as how businesses are built now around people. And when you look at HR tech, this is what our business is based. You won't find any arguments when it comes to ATS with me and Shelly, as Shelly would say. A lot of these. I systems, think I got a rash when you said Kaleo. Yeah, exactly. A lot of these systems are based on screening out candidates, not screening in candidates. So it uh, is. They were built by lawyers and HR people and not recruiters. So my first boss in recruitment in Calgary, the first thing she said to me was, we are in the business of rejection. Wow, what a way to enter the recruitment space. But it was true. It's really, that's what it was for. We're in the business of rejection. How do you reject people kindly enough that they might apply again? Wow, that is different from today, but she was right in the function and the way it was built. Well, reject them nicely that they might apply in the future or buy products or services in your company. So, Rob, this was very interesting. Uh, Wow. looking at everything that's going on in, in this space. But for anyone that wants to get a hold of you, find out more about Rob, what's the easiest way to uh, to do that? Sure, yeah. I'm happy to give my email. It's pretty easy, rob at talent.com, R-O-B. There you go. Um, definitely open to any emails from, from people who want to talk about the industry. You can find me on LinkedIn as well. But uh, yeah, ultimately, rob at talent.com, probably the best way to get in touch. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This was great. Yeah, that was great fun. Thank you so much, Rob. We'll talk to you guys as well. No, it's uh, I really appreciate the chance to to come and talk to these things. It's been uh, it's been a fun session. Have you ever found yourself scrolling through financial news and wondering, how does any of this affect me? How can I read a major headline and truly understand what impact that has on not only my portfolio, but my life? Well, our goal on the podcast Inside the Street, hosted by Wall Street analysts at Lachifre Partners, is to provide public investors and young professionals with a deeper understanding of the mechanics that drive those major headlines. And what better way to dive into these mechanics and hosting Wall Street analysts themselves to discuss the newest trends in finance firsthand? Well, on our show, we bring you real perspectives from the front line. Hearing these analysts give commentary has made our listeners much more well-versed on the financial markets. This approach to discussion allows our listeners to engage in conversation with much more educated opinions and predictions. So be sure to check out our show, Inside the Street, wherever you find your podcasts.